Hello and welcome to another episode of Virgo and the Freak. I'm that bloke from Rugby League Project, Andrew Ferguson. You can find me on Twitter at AndrewRLP. And joining me is League Freak, who you can find on Twitter at League Freak, who has just survived from a horrible case of man flu. How are you today? I'm very good. I'm happy to be alive because, um, yeah, I was pretty sick the last over the weekend. So, yeah, first day I could do a podcast and look at us, we're tearing through on. I was uh, so concerned, I already lined up about 15 people to replace you. <laughs> <laughs> oh, shit. Well, not you true, know, not true. As long as they can slap their lips together, you know, there you go. That's true. <laughs> so today we've got, um, we're going to look at our own clubs and mm. how they're performing this year. Um, so obviously we'll start with the one that's just had their, uh, had their match, and that was the West Tigers, and in what was possibly... No, I won't say possibly. It was the most pitiful performance that's happened so far this year. What are your thoughts on it, mate? Um, well, like, first of all, that Parramatta Stadium, God damn it, is beautiful. Like, what a monument to rugby league, to the game. Um, it's kind of weird seeing the game being played in, in a stadium that's just so perfect like that. Um, so that was the first thing that jumped out at me. The second thing was I felt like there was a bit of an ambush element in it. I think that Parramatta were obviously keyed up for it, and I know the Tigers would have been too, but there was a lot more at stake for Parramatta. I mean, if Parramatta had have lost their first home game, especially to the Tigers who had said that, you know, to remember that it's not just Parramatta Stadium, it's, you know, it's one of the Tigers' 15 different stadiums. Um yes. You know, it would have been very embarrassing. So I thought that there was an element of that there. Then losing Robbie Farrow obviously hurts their attack. And I, I just think that a lot of things snowballed. But they were alarmingly bad up the middle of the field in defence. There were so many line breaks up the middle that um, just shouldn't have been happening in a first-grade team. It was kind of like watching a, a first-grade team take on a, a second-grade team. Um, there was just too much happening up the middle of the field and a lot of runaway tries and... Yeah, just one of those terrible days for a club. Yeah, like you, I um, I think that ground looks absolutely stunning. It's mm. uh, also the thing that's going to be good about it too is unlike pretty much every other venue there, other than some of the park grounds when teams are in form there, um, it's going to be imposing for opposition teams to go to because you've just got all those home fans right on top of you. And yeah, all that and noise I, just stays in there, you know. Yeah, I think it'll be a law for players as well. I think playing mm. in that stadium, because I was watching it and I was thinking, this might be the first time we've had a venue in rugby league where a player is lured by the venue. And you've got other sports where it's like that a little bit. I know Madison Square Garden in the NBA is like that. This stadium, like they're on top of you and... You know, even if you get 20,000 people there, it's going to feel very intimidating, as you say. And I think that it's going to lure place to Parramatta in a weird way. Yeah, I think um, if the Eels can get their get their shit together on the field and start playing some good, consistent footy based on what they've done today, um, geez, and, the, and the fans get behind them like they did today, mm-hmm. they, they could very well start being a genuine, you know, finals um, contender every year. Yeah. Um, that background with that, that, the way it's designed there, they those fans will give them an extra leg, no doubt about it. Yeah, 100%. And, I mean, it's I, I think now that people have seen it for the first time, I mean, it made me want to get, get to a game there. 
Um, there's a few games coming up. I was even thinking about going and seeing St. George versus Parramatta, which um, St. George might be my favourite team to watch at the moment, but we might talk about that in another podcast. But um, for this game, I, I think that the the atmosphere and looking at the crowd, I mean, it, I think it was at least 90% Eels fans by the look of it. Uh, I think the crowd definitely got to the Tigers, I think the occasion did. And I think that it just, it boosted Parramatta because they were playing like they were 10 foot tall and bulletproof. Well, I was going to say, it looked like um, 17 lucky fans got to go down and be on the field while Parramatta <laughs> went on a training run. <laughs> yeah. This is uh, the it, scary thing about the Tigers, okay? And I, I was saying this at the start of the year, mm-hmm. is that Jacob Little is the hooker who's meant to be replacing Robbie Farrah. Yeah. That's it. That's our backup plan when Farrah retires. Mm. And we saw tonight that the Tigers are a shambles when Farrah's not on the field, not just in attack, but in defence as well. He just holds that middle together so well. And when he was gone, all those points happened. And it's it's not just his his defence he does in the middle, but he keeps the line set in, a, in the proper structure it needs to be in. That's what he provides in the defensive line as well. And, yeah, when he was gone... There was just holes in that defensive line everywhere, and they were making um, very feeble attempts at tackles. And mm-hmm. I thought, I thought a rev up at halftime would have fixed that, but mm-hmm. there was just no commitment after the break either. It just, it just kept coming. And Parramatta weren't executing um, the most complicated, exquisite plays ever to score points. No, they were no. doing it very easily and very often through plays up the middle. Um, so. Unlike normal losses where your team may lose by 8 or 10 or sometimes 20 points, there's usually a fair bit to look on, which is something you can work on for the next week. Um, the Tigers look like they need to do a complete reset because mm. you can't you can't build anything off what they did uh, against Parramatta. No. That was just woeful. You got yeah, you just got to forget it. It's just one of those performances that, you know, if you didn't even look at the film, you know, I, I wouldn't blame the Tigers for that. There was no redeeming qualities in the game today. And like, as, as you say, as soon as Farrah went off, it was like, and he, and he went off at a really bad time too. Like they were under the pump and he went off. And I mean, you put up a, a you put up a stat about the first 14, the, the, how much yeah, was scored the, in the first. The, the, yeah. Tell us that first, one. Cause that was amazing. Yeah. It was the first 14 minutes. And the last 14 minutes of the game, Parramatta scored one point to nil. But in the 50, 52 minutes in the middle, Parramatta scored 50 points to six. Wow. Unbelievable. And, just, so, and the last 14 minutes wasn't because the West Tigers defense got better. It was just Parramatta mm-hmm. went, you know, what's the point of trying any further? We've already racked up 50, mm-hmm. you know. Hence, you know, the the field goal that Mitch Moses kicked at the end there. He's just piss farting around really in the end. Mm. And that's that's how they were approaching the last twenty, the last fifteen minutes of the game. Yeah, and like they had a couple of things. There were a couple of times. I know there was a break that Jennings made, um, and they were just getting caught where they weren't getting caught in that middle part of the game. Uh, they were just going straight through the line, and it was open space. It was two on one with the, you know, one player in the backfield, um, and it just. Yeah, it was crazy to see how bad they were up the middle, though. Um, 
And they, yeah, they they just need to forget that game. I, I don't think. I mean, they've been playing with a lot of effort this year. That's one thing I've noticed. I think Maguire's got them playing with a bit more um, starch than they had last year, which was good to see. But um, tonight, just uh, it was just a write off, and it looked like at one stage they could have had sixty put on them. Uh, and like even in that the end, towards the end of that first half, it was nearly a point a minute. So, yeah. you know, it could have been way worse than it was. So you've got to give the Tigers a you know tiny little bit of credit there. But um, I wonder how much they're looking forward to having Benji Marshall back because they'd been going all right without him. And, you know, you don't want to break up a team that's winning games. And I wonder if this will allow them to have a bit of an excuse to bring Benji Marshall back in the next couple of weeks because I believe he's pretty close to coming back. Um, so that'll be interesting to see what they do with him because I think it might have been an awkward situation had they either not been losing games this poorly or if they'd just been going all right like they had the last few weeks. I, I think that that would have been an issue that would have maybe caused some problems at the Tigers, and we've seen that happen before. Um, but after a loss like this, I mean, the coach is within his rights to do whatever he decides to do, you know what I mean? Yeah, look, I think, uh, like, Benji coming back would help a little bit, but what we saw today, I think, was the start of um, the Tigers' lack of depth in the forwards because the forwards are just looking tired. And mm-hmm. without Farron there helping to keep them in shape, uh, they were just doing so much work, and they were they were buggered by half time, and there was mm. nothing, nothing was going to fix that. So yeah, they did. They did reasonably well to keep them to to keep Parrot at twenty points in the second half. But to be honest, it was it was a lost cause by then. Um, yeah, and the other and, thing to remember too is in the first tackle, Parramatta lost a player, and then they lost a, They lost a few others during the match as well. So it wasn't like they were taken on a forward pack that you know was was untouched, which can sometimes lead to a. a Marine page like this. They were taking on a team that was kind of making the best of a bad situation themselves. Um, they just didn't handle it well at all. It was it was kind of it was tough to watch if you were a West Tigers supporter. Um, well, to be just, honest, for a lot of us Tigers supporters, we've seen a lot of performances like that. So it's kind of a bit. It, it's not as hard to watch. The thing mm-hmm. that makes this one difficult is the start of the season has been pretty good, and the, yeah. fight, the fight back last week was that sort of gave you the hope that, okay, this team is not one that quits. Mm-hmm. And then after after 14 minutes today, they mm. pretty much quit, and you think, why did that happen? Like they yeah. got revved up a few weeks ago about, about clocking off early. Yeah. And, yeah, they did it in an even worse way in this game. There's just too many... Too many issues to look at. Um, a lot of people are going to pick at Luke Brooks, but as as the old saying goes, and as everyone knows, you, if you're a halfback, you're not going to have a good game if your forwards are completely smashed. Yeah, and you know you're on a hiding to nothing, and there wasn't much he could do. So no. I, I can't blame the backs too much. It's the forwards are just getting smashed, yeah. and. There was not enough quality depth to replace them because they've been using pretty much the same forward pack for every game so far, whereas every other team has changed one or two players on the bench every week to try and keep, you know, the odd player here and there fresh. 
Yeah, and putting starters on the bench, like, you know, mm. guys that would normally start every game for a, for a team being put started off the bench for a lot of clubs. It's an interesting trend that we've seen this year. That's right. And the Tigers just haven't been doing it. They've just been rolling out the same lineup with the same yeah. players doing the same workload. And they're, it, it's, it sounds weird to say, but they're getting a bit tired already. And it's only, what, six, seven games in. Yeah. Without the depth they need to, to help combat that, things could probably get worse before it gets better. And that's the scary bit. Yeah, if, you know, a few more injuries in the forward pack and they'd be in trouble, especially in the current era. I mean, I think we're in the absolute golden era of forwards in the NRL. I think that, you know, there are guys on the bench these days that would be stars even 15 years ago. And every pack is absolutely massive. And then you've got, you know, some physical freak outliers in the game that are massive and have footwork and speed and everything, you know. Um and so when your forward pack is it is very, you know, if it's held together with not too much that can go wrong with it, when things do start to go wrong, you're going to be in trouble in the NRL because even the very worst teams have very good forward packs. So, um, you know, mate, it's, I don't know that the Tigers can really do too much about that this year, but it's definitely something that they've got to fix going forward. Yeah, um, making metres has been something that's always been a bit of an issue for the club too, especially up front, because for a long time they had, you know, those small small back rowers and whatnot, and they were yeah. more designed to try and set up second phase play. Mm-hmm. But they've got a much bigger, more mobile pack now. But I'm just looking at the stats for today, and they just got hammered in the metres. You know, Tigers ran for 1,207 metres, Parramatta 2,041. Just it's unbelievable. Just, you just, oh, it's just horrible. Yeah, and it's uh, and, and as I was saying, it you know that was against a Parramatta pack that they they lost a couple of players. They was lost one guy straight away, went straight to the bench, didn't see him again because of a head knock. Lost another one later on in the match, and that wasn't even that much later into the match. Um, so yeah, it's I mean, hopefully they've got some youngsters they can bring in. I mean, you'd think that they would, but, uh, yeah. Ho- the club, could... though, is the, the, the problem with the Tigers is when they had that horrible period through Jason Taylor, mm-hmm. um, not only did they ignore a fair bit of use at the time, but they spent a lot of money, uh, and since then, obviously, spent a lot of money trying to build a decent first-grade side again. And yeah. to their credit, they've done a reasonably good job compared to what they used to have. Mm-hmm. But... It's come at a cost, and that is there's not a huge amount of depth where it matters, and that's in the halves, um, mm-hmm. pretty much anywhere in the spine, to be honest, and in the in the front row. They've got enough for the first grade side, but there's not much beyond that, and that's something they need to start looking at big time. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, definitely, because um, a couple of injuries, and, and they're staffed. Mm. Yeah, very much so. Um, there's something there's something about about Parramatta that I wanted to talk about, and that was after the game. It was interesting seeing the. I mean, first of all, everyone celebrated like they'd won a grand final, which was pretty <laughs> funny. Um, like they were doing laps of honour and all sorts of stuff. I loved it, and it was weird to see a lot of media types were saying, "Oh, they need to re-sign all of these players," and it's like, calm down, all right. This Parramatta team has been 
all right this season. They haven't been terrible like they were last year. And it's weird to see this push for, from the media for them to just re-sign everyone. Like, there's nothing about this club that I look at and think, yeah, they can't improve on what they've got. They've got a solid base there with some solid players. But, you know, a lot of these players, solid is their ceiling, I believe. And uh, one of the players that has been in the media a lot over the last few weeks is Clint Gutherson, who for some reason is holding Parramatta over a barrel and, and being like, I want this much money and if you don't give it to me, I'll go elsewhere. And I just don't think he's that good of a player. I know he played all right tonight, but I think that there's a lot of better fullbacks in the game. And if I was Parramatta, I would, I would just let him go. Like, I would let him walk. I wouldn't be paying him anything more than a, a an average first grader's wage. I wouldn't be playing him like he was a star at all. What do you think about that? Um, well, I I don't mind Gutherson. I think the the issue that Parramatta's got is I don't think he's a fullback at all. I think he's a 5'8". But yeah. we saw last year that Moses doesn't perform too well if he's got a 5'8", who is a stronger you know, mm. player as he is there or, mm-hmm. you know, as far as when it comes to calling for the ball. And so they've put, I think they've put Gutherson at fullback to try and give Moses that freedom and the halves that he needs to make him perform well. Um, I think that's where, I think that's what they're doing there because I don't think he's even the best fullback at Parramatta. I yeah. Got, I think you've got one or two other options that they could go to there instead of him who would probably be better for the job. But this mix works for... Um, better cohesion, I guess. I've, it's kind I've, of the... I mean, because they tried friendship fullback and it wasn't quite clicking. And Gutherson's gone back there and it's it's sort of like a make-do measure that's working all right for now. Mm. I just don't understand this push. And I know he's, an, he's a nice bloke. He's good with the fans. You know, a lot of people say he's a really good club. Man, that's all fantastic. But I just think that when you look around at the fullbacks that are in rugby league, just the ones that are starting at fullback at other NRL clubs, there's so much talent at fullback. And I don't think that you should be committing, apart from the fact that there's so many good fullbacks, you don't need to, you know, pay overs for anybody, um, unless you've got like a very rare talent. I just think that he's probably not the player that I would be looking to pay anything more than an average first grader's salary for or, or like a winger's salary for because, you know, he does some good things, but I think that there are better there are better options out there and I think that the club should look at those options. Yeah, I think... I mean, it's a fair point. I think Parramatta's probably going to see if Moses gets any attention elsewhere because I think mm. if he does and he leaves the club, I reckon they'll keep Gutherson and put him in at 5'8". Yeah. I just think that's more of his natural position. Um, yeah. Well, here's I, a question I, for you. Would you want Moses... At your, if, if Moses was going to the West Tigers, say they lose Benji and Reynolds, and I, I think Reynolds would be under yeah. contract still, but uh, but just say they both of them decide to retire at the end of the year. Would you want Moses to be the man at the Tigers? And he'd be alongside Brooks, but would you want him to be your star signing? No. And the reason why um, isn't so much to do with the way he plays, but the way he dominates in the halves with the calls. And this is the problem that Brooks had. 
Mm. We've seen that since Moses left the Tigers, Brooks has come more out of his shell and he's been a more dominant player. And he's definitely he was second in the Dallium rankings last year. I'm not too sure if that was deserved, but um, at least showed he was he was better consistently. It showed he was much more consistent and he was starting to take control of the side, and that was a good thing. And I think if he was to come back, that's the problem is. Brooks has to be the dominant half, and he's not mm. quite there yet, but he was nowhere near it when Moses was there because Moses was being the dominant one despite being second receiver, which is why we had that bit of conflict there. Yeah. Um, so I wouldn't have him back there. I think he needs to be in a club where they've only got one dominant half. Mm-hmm. Oh, sorry, they don't have any dominant halves and they need one, and I think probably a good club for him would be someone like Brisbane because they've just got two far baits essentially. Yeah, they definitely. need a dominant seven there who's going to call yeah. plays and sort of lead things around. And I think um, in their system, he'd probably do a lot better. Yeah, see, so, like, he's the sort of player, he's a little, he's been very rocks and diamonds throughout his career. Mm-hmm. Like, uh, there's been times where, like, I mean, tonight he was, I think he played the best game of his career so far by quite some way. But then there's other games where he's played in, in his career, and it hasn't been a long career, but there has been other games where you'll wonder what the hell he's doing or what he's thinking. He'll, he'll make silly brain explosion plays. Um, and, yeah, being being that one dominant player obviously helps him a lot more. And But I, I wouldn't want my club to be investing in him too much. I, I, I feel like he'd be the sort of player that, you could get a good season out of, and then the next few seasons on his contract, you're like, oh, man, we need something more than this, dude. You know what I mean? Yeah, I think the best way to have Moses, based on what I've seen him do so far, is only ever sign him on one-year deals. <laughs> whenever he's playing for a contract, the bloke is just... He comes out with just absolute superstar plays, but when he's in the first year of like a three- or four-year line, he's just... Uh, yeah, just you'll just cruise through for the yeah. first few seasons. If we're having a good game, I'll pull my finger in a little bit. Um, the one thing I I am fully opposed to mm. is this talk that's starting up about him being in the frame for New South Wales. Oh, and, yeah, no. and it comes about because Maloney and and uh, Cleary are just in woeful form, pretty much. Mm. Or Maloney mm. hasn't been too bad, but Cleary's sort of gone missing a bit, and so a bit lost, yeah. This talk of Moses being, you know, a potential dark horse to play for New South Wales, that worries me because I see him as being Mick Ennis-like or Mitchell Pearce-like for that matter. Very, you know, can be very good at club level, but that next step up is too big a step. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, Yeah, I I mean, I wouldn't have him anywhere near New South Wales. I would be... I would be happier to go in with um, with uh, the Panthers halves and, and knowing that they're out of form than want Moses in there, to be honest with you. Um, because, yeah, it's just the rocks and diamonds thing for me. It It's something that worries me about him so much. And, look, he could change that. He, he might just mature as a player and it might all turn around. But uh, And he has games like he had tonight, but then... There's other performances that you see him and you're like, oh, man, I wish he wouldn't play like that. You know and, what I mean? Yeah, and those games are usually only a few weeks apart. Yeah, that's the problem. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, speaking of the uh, the Panthers halves. Yes. What's been going on with the Panthers, mate? 
They're fine. I don't know, <laughs> don't know what you're doing, man. Um, look, the Panthers, from the very first game, the word that I kept on coming up was with was they looked complacent. They looked like everything was just going to work for them for, and for some divine reason. And they're coming up against a lot of teams. And there's a lot of teams this year that are playing with grit and, and really playing hard. And the Panthers are just getting found out because of it. Um, you know, uh, Cleary looks lost in the middle at the moment. And I don't know what the deal is with that because he's a great player. There's there's no reason for him to be playing poorly. Um, he's not carrying injury. He should. I don't think he has any pressure from the coach. Um, he, he just looks like he, he looks lost. It's hard to explain. Um, Maloney has been up and down this year. I mean, he had a really good game a couple of weeks ago, but, you know, th- but the the big thing is the missed tackles are outrageous. Like, the missed tackle numbers, um, a, a first-grade first team should never miss as many for tackles as the Panthers have been over the course of this year. And that just comes down to a desire, I think, and being found out by opposition forward packs. And the Panthers' forward pack, I mean, you look at it, it's a pretty damn good forward pack on paper. But they're just getting beaten in the forwards. And, you know, people have said that they don't look fit, that they've got some fitness problems. Um, I just think it's desire. Like, they're, they're just not putting in that extra 10%. And in the NRL, that sees you getting beat and beaten pretty well. Um, on Against the Sharks... They got that 14-point lead, and it wasn't a super convincing 14-point lead. The Sharks weren't playing great, and the Panthers sort of, you know, they just got there, you know. And then the Sharks, the Sharks didn't even turn it on. They weren't playing out of their skin. And you could just see that they were going to beat the Panthers. And it was just terrible to watch as a Panthers fan. Um, I don't know what the Panthers do because they're really locked in. They're locked in with the coach. They're locked in with the halfback. I mean, they're the two highest paid in, in their roles in the club's whole history. Uh, Maloney's an older player, so he might be somebody that you can move on. But then you're getting rid of the one playmaker that is doing anything this year. The forward pack is... I, I don't think you could gut the forward pack. Their worst forward... They made the captain this week. I just don't know where the Panthers go from here. It's like they, they've they set up for this bright future. Everything's in place. Everything's set in stone. And it's terrible. And that's really, really scary from, from the Panthers' point of view because they're locked into this and they have to get out of this problem themselves. And they can't look for any outside help at all. They can't look to you know, get rid of a bunch of players that are off contract. They've got to sort this out themselves. And, you know, if they have a, a next few weeks that are poor, their season is completely over if it isn't already. And that's outrageous for a team that I think talent-wise alone is a top four team. Yeah, I I agree with all of that, mate. And to be honest, there's an awful lot about the Panthers this year that reminds me of the West Tigers in 2012 mm-hmm. where... That year, the Tigers were being billed as, you know, this was their premiership window. This is the year they're going to get to the grand final. Um, That was after, you know, two years in a row where they made the finals and were looking pretty good. And they ended the year in ninth or tenth place and just Mm. petered out, was miserable. And I think Penrith is sort of in that sort of situation where 
people were talking about them as being premiership contenders this year and they're cruising too much. And now it's got to mm. the point where they're not cruising anymore. They're stuck and they don't know how to get out of it. And one key feature that they had in the last few years was their ability to win games that were lost. And this mm-hmm. year, they lo- they've got the ability of losing games that they've pretty much got wrapped up. Yeah, um, yeah. The other big problem they've got, and this is this was last year, it happened big time, and it's continuing this year, is discipline on the ball yeah. and off the ball in attack and defense. They are the most ill-disciplined team in the competition last year, and it's happening again this year. And that's missed tackles, um, ineffective tackles, handling errors, just general play errors. Um, penalties conceded, all these, all these one percenters mm. that go against your team, they're the worst at getting them right. And yeah, they were doing it last year with a different, with two different coaches. They're doing it again now with a completely different coach all over again. I don't know if it's the coaching, but more what's between the ears of the players. And yeah. I don't know how you, how you fix that because it's, as I said, I can't, I can't blame the coach because. They were doing this last year. Yeah, and he yeah, wasn't there. Yeah, and like last year, there were we used to we were having jokes with amongst Panthers fans that the game wasn't on until we were down fourteen to nothing, you know. And then we started playing good footy, and like it's all of those things that we're allowing to go against us and and giving away penalties and all that sort of stuff. And we always had to overcome that as a club, and now it's like between having doing that still and just not playing with the same desires as our opposition. Now we're just finding that it's the we're not in games. We're not in with the shout of winning some of these games. I mean, we played the Gold Coast Titans into form. It's just been a terrible, terrible start to the season. And in a month from now, their season their finals aspirations could be completely over because they're gonna lose some players to the representative calendar. And, you know, they're probably going to get some players in the state of origin team, whether they deserve to be there or not. And, you know, this season's going to be over. It's a terrible way because as a Panthers fan, I come into this season thinking, look, the top couple of sides, they're probably beyond our reach. But on our day, get us into the semifinals. And on our day, we might be able to do something. But no, they don't look like, you know, they might be one of the most out-of-form teams in the league. And I look at somebody like the Canterbury Bulldogs, who I think have the least amount of talent in the NRL by quite some way, but they're playing their asses off. Like, even in the games they're getting smashed in, they're playing with so much desire the last few weeks. And if the Panthers played with even an ounce of that desire, they're a top four team. And they're not. They're just playing like rubbish and they're getting the results they really, truly deserve. No, I fully agree, man. I mean, you've only got to look at the two wins as well. I mean, a very sloppy, scrappy win over the Tigers in Golden Point and a two-point mm. victory over the Newcastle, which was neither of those were convincing in any way. No. Um, and and, and it also, like the Knights, we're finding out the Knights are actually a pretty bad team and there was a point in the, that Knights game that I was thinking, man, this is the sort of game that gets Nathan Brown fired. And then, and it's a couple of weeks later, and people are openly talking about that now. Um, and the West Tigers game, I mean, that was a minor miracle at the end that we even tied that game up, let alone winning it. It was 
a game that was really we stole. I mean, the Tigers were the better team for most of that game. And, you know, every other game they've looked so bad. It's just very strange to see. The other thing you've got to look at too is that we were in the top four last year when Griffin was sacked. And they brought in a, a, a coach to the end of the season and then they put all of their, their you know, eggs into their Cleary basket and it's not working already. And look, they're still playing, paying out for Griffin. You, they cannot afford to sack Cleary. He's there for like the next at least two years before you can even think about paying his contract out. They're just, they're stuck with what they've got. And unless they can turn it around, this is what they're going to be for at least two seasons, if not longer. Yeah, I'm I'm curious about the whole sacking Griffin thing. Was it because he wasn't performing or was it because of a personality clash with Phil Gould? Well, look, I've, I've heard all sorts of things. I've heard that he had a fallen out with Phil Gould, which I, I don't really take all of that sort of rumour on board. Um, I've heard that the, the players weren't real happy with him, which... Good. Like, if you're in the top four and the players think that your tactics aren't great or that you're working them too hard, good. You're in the top four. You know, he's not your mate. He's the coach. That's right, yeah. So so I, I didn't understand it at all. I mean, that, there were some fans that didn't like his the style of play that we played under him, but we were in the top four. You know, if they were back to playing, you know, one-out hit-ups like Matthew Elliott used to when we were in the top four, I wouldn't care. As long as we're in the top four. And we weren't sneaking into the top four either last nah. year. We were a legitimate top four side. And on our day, might have been able to do something once again. And when he got sacked, I mean, it was just bananas, the whole the whole saga. But they got what they wanted, and this is what the result is. And I tell you what, there's going to be some jobs on the line in terms of the board and the CEO if this is what we have for the next couple of years. They really need to turn it around this weekend and turn it around in an absolute massive way as well because it's just not good enough what we've seen from the Panthers this year. Um, It's disgusting. I could give you a bit of perspective here, mate. Mm -hmm. Matthew Elliott as coach won 44.1% of games at the Panthers. Yeah, Ivan Clear is currently at forty four point two three percent. Wow, almost identical. And now, Elliot was coached for one hundred and eleven games. Clear done yeah. one hundred and four, so there's only seven games less. So now to, let's be fair about this, right? Okay, so Matthew Elliot took took over from John Lang, and John Lang left behind a team that still had the core of a premiership winning team that he left behind. All right. And the team that Ivan Cleary took over in his first stint with Penrith, the one that he got tired during, the team he took over was the team that Matthew Elliott left behind. (laughs) Now, that was something very, very different. And to be very fair to Ivan Cleary, he helped rebuild that side with with the help of Phil Gould and, and, and working on the juniors and everything. He helped rebuild that side. He helped them get through some growing pains, but then he got tired, you know, and then it was Griffin who was going to take us to the promised land until uh, whatever the fuck happened then. I don't really know, well, but 
Uh, how's about this for a bit more then? Okay. Anthony okay. Griffin. Keep, Anthony Griffin. Keep bring it on. Just do it. <laughs> <laughs> Anthony Griffin, second most successful coach that Penrith ever had behind Ron Willey as far as win percentage goes. He won 58.3%. Ron Willey had 66%. John Lang was 51.6%. Wow. That's incredible. I mean, John Lang took over a team that was a a pretty poor side in terms of wins and losses, but one that was about to explode with a very rare, you know, infusion of talent that you don't see too often in rugby league, where all of these young players just, like, it was overnight. I remember the game that it happened. It was like, oh, yeah, we can actually go and smash some pretty good teams. And they actually did it to the Roosters early in that 2003 season. It's like they woke up to themselves. Um, but towards the end of Lang's term there, he it, it was just time for a change, I think. And I think that the Panthers needed a new voice. Unfortunately, that new voice was Matthew Elliott. So <clears throat> not a real good voice. To get rid of Griffin with that sort of winning percentage, you can't get rid of a, a coach with a winning percentage that high at a club and not replace him with a, a, a super coach. Especially you know, with the squad that they had and the form they were in. Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, if they had come into this season and they had got, say, fifth or sixth on the ladder, you would say, well, that's, you know, what about that? That's interesting. Not as good as last year. But you look at where they're at now, and it's like it's a, it's been a disastrous move at the moment. You couldn't look at it as anything other than a potentially, you know, a premiership-destroying move to get rid of Griffin. Um, and I know a lot of people didn't think he could take the Panthers to the next level. But just look at his record, you know. That's all you can go by is his record as a coach. And I tell you what, you'd take 58% this year if you're a Panthers fan. Bloody oath you would. That's, mm. So th- this is the thing. Because of this, the squad's had little change. Um, and obviously there's been a coaching change. But I wonder if the, the way they're performing is because of off-field stuff that's going on. Obviously they had mm-hmm. the sex tapes crap. That's a distraction for a little while. I'm mm-hmm. thinking that the, the talk that's been going about Phil Gould having a bit of a falling out with the club, whether that's hurting the club on the field and off the field as well. Yeah, it could be. I mean, I always think when you've got somebody around that's, that there's talk that they're on their way out or they're looking elsewhere. And and Gould is obviously the man at Penrith. Um, he's he's a very big personality there. And he's somebody that has really looked to cultivate a culture at the club since he, he stepped in and really fixed up the mess that the club was in at the time. So for a lot of these players to have arrived during that time, and to now see that he might be on his way out or being moved on by somebody higher up in the club, I mean, that would have an effect. I don't know that the sex tape stuff has as big an effect as many people think. I think that that, you'd probably be like, oh, man, you know, the teammate's stuffed. He's stuffed up. Um, And, like, they got rid of Tyrone May, I believe it was. (coughs) Excuse me. But, uh... I don't know. I, I just think that they've expected to be top side this year, and it just has. You know, we've seen a lot of teams that don't have the same amount of talent playing with a lot of desire, 
and I think that it's taken them by surprise. And for whatever reason, they haven't, sh- you know, had that shake up yet. They haven't woken up to the fact that they've got a rip and tear. Otherwise, they're going to get left behind. Yeah, I mean, the reason why I brought up the field goal thing is because he's been there so long and he was doing a lot of work with juniors and also with recruitment. I mean, most of that squad's there because of him. Yeah. And so for him to be talked about being on the outer or being pushed out of the club, um, that that would have a negative impact on a lot of those players, I think. Yeah. yeah and, and that and, might be part of the reason for why they're performing the way they are because they don't want him to go because he's the reason that they're there. Yeah, and I don't think he should go. You know, I think it would be really unfair to be pushing him out. I think he deserves to be be stood by and and to let him see this out in however whatever way you do that. You know, um, because he really did work hard to turn the club around and really change things for the better for the club. And I think Panthers fans are forever going to be grateful for that. But you know, there was talk that. He had a handshake deal with Wayne Bennett and that the club didn't sign off on that and they wanted Cleary instead. And I can understand that. Like, I look at all of the clubs that Wayne Bennett has left behind his last few stops and they've been in pretty poor positions when he's left. Yeah. Um, so I can see where the club wouldn't have wanted that. But at the same time, if you... Whatever decision was made, it had to be one that was a home run. And right now it is far from a home run. So, you know, hopefully they can turn it around. They really need to go on like a about a seven-game win streak or something to really show that they're back. I just can't see that happening. Like, I, I, I kind of think that <laughs> in a month from now they're going to be done. Yeah, I think, um, I think with Ivan Cleary, I don't see him... He doesn't come across to me as the sort of coach you hire to win a premiership. He comes mm-hmm. across to me as the same sort of coach as a Brian Smith or a Tim Sheens. You bring him in to shake shit up and clean the place out and get us up for someone else to come in and take that last step. Mm-hmm. And Penrith went in a situation like that when he got there. Yeah. So I don't, I don't know because you look at what Cleary's done at other clubs when he was at Penrith the first time, when he went to the Warriors, when he went to the Tigers. Look what he did in his first two years at those clubs. Well, yeah. for the Tigers' first year. Um, phenomenal changeover. Like, he fixed up a whole heap of cultural issues, fixed up the squad, fixed up a lot of things in the back office, um, and made those clubs a hell of a lot better than what they were when he first turned up. Mm. But that's it's a completely different dynamic this time around. He's not doing that job this time. And I'm wondering if he's probably still trying to find his feet in, in that sort of area because he's... He's always had to work hard to get to the point where this team is that he's walked in on. And I think he may be one of those guys mm. who likes to be able to build it from the ground up to a point where he wants it, whereas this time he's just walked into something that's successful. Yeah, and like his first stint at Penrith, I was really critical of when they let him go because I felt like he did all of the hard work and just as it was about to bear fruit, they let him go. You mm. know, I thought it was gross. Um and he's like, it's hard to argue with his record. He does make a difference. And I do think he's a good coach. But when you've got a team with this much talent as Penrith has, and they're playing the way they are, the first thing you've got to look at is the coach and, and what he is doing. And, you know, it's his job to get this. He's, he's, it's his job to have them performing at their optimum level. And they're just not, you know. They're one of the worst clubs in the league right now. And 
you know, it must have been very strange to step back into the role that he left only a couple of years before, you know, um, to be under the boss that let him go because he said he looked tired. And, you know, I, I, th- I think the thing about coaching his son is not a real big issue at all. I don't think that would be too much. That would affect either of them too much. Nah. Um, but it's just not working. And for all them big decisions and it, for it to be working this poorly, um, man, like, I'm glad I'm not the one that made those decisions. <laughs> well, I must admit, when I first heard that they was they'd signed Cleary from the Tigers, um, I immediately thought that they were just protecting their investment in Nathan Cleary, mm-hmm. and they thought this is the best way of doing it. And Ivan's not a bad coach; we've had him here before. Look what he did at the Tigers. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think they've done that to protect what they've invested in Nathan. I don't know why they would have thought Nathan would leave. Yeah. From everything I gathered, he looks like he's pretty happy where he was there, and he'd made yeah. no no mention about leaving the club to join his father. Yeah, um, I mean, he said he so wanted it's... to play under his dad at one point, but it wasn't yeah. like he was putting an ultimatum that no, we know like, of. Yeah, it wasn't a demand. He wasn't saying, I need to do it now. He's just saying, yeah. yeah, one day down the line it'll work out. And to be honest, all they had to do was wait probably another 18 months when Ivan's contract ended the Tigers and they would have had it. Yeah. And if they and... had a said that to Nathan at the outset, he probably went, yeah, fine, that's that's cool by me. But for some reason, they've rushed it through and, yeah. And the problem that they have now, and look, uh, Cleary's a really good young halfback. I wouldn't take him, I wouldn't take any other young player in the game over him because he's a good young halfback. He's level-headed. He's, you know, comes from a good footy family. There's never been any dramas there. I think he's the sort of young player you want to build a team around. And he's proven himself in a lot of, circumstances very early on in his career the problem that you have is that when you've got you've invested so much in in him and his father is if you have to if you get to a point where you do have to let his father go you're going to upset him and it i just it had to work really well or it was going to end really poorly and i hope we're not seeing the start of it ending really poorly because, you know, the Panthers will lose a really good young player if they do. Um, you know, hopefully they can turn it around. But as I said, I, I don't think, I'm, when I look at them, I I just don't see them turning it around. I can't see them flicking the switch and all of a sudden everything's cool and they're making less mistakes. They're not, make, they're not uh, missing 50 tackles a game. And they've got that desire back. It, it just doesn't work like that in rugby league. Um, I think that we're in for really a pretty disappointing season as Panthers fans. And um, one of the things that I've always talked about as a Panthers fan, and one of the things that I was very happy about coming out of the Matthew Elliott soul-destroying debacle is the fact that the Panthers, all I want is the, the Panthers to have a shot doesn't have to be a great shot. Just be in the race. Just be. I'd, I'd like to be able to turn on the TV on the weekend or go to a game on the weekend and say, you know, we've at least got a shot at winning this one. And to think that this year we might be back to being also rans again is 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 rotten. It's not good at all. They've got a pretty tough um, few weeks coming up too. They've got South mm. this weekend, mm. Canberra the week after in Wagga, and then. 
And then they come back against the Tigers. And the Tigers have got to play the Titans and then the Roosters the week after. So yeah, we could so... be seeing another bludger of a game in round nine <laughs> between these two sides. We, we might, and, that, and that'll be played at we might be doing the Wooden Spoon Battle podcast. <laughs> <laughs> that game will be on Magic Weekend. Tigers, Penrith. Oh, beautiful! I bet they so, stick around to watch that one up in Brisbane. Yeah. That'll um, be a magic. That'll be a magic vacuum. Oh, yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's like Jesus. It, like. If you look at the form, I mean, South should absolutely destroy them this week. They should absolutely put the put the cleaners through them. So it's going to be an interesting test to see. And if they get smashed in this game, I'm really I'm willing to just write the whole season off. Well, yeah, I mean, if they get hammered by South at home, um, that road trip to Wagga against Canberra, that's going to feel like a Canberra home game. That's not going yeah. to go well for them down there. Yeah, the the Raiders are playing all right too. I don't mm. think that they're playing as well as a lot of people. But they're not the premiership contenders that I think some people believe they are. Uh, I need to see more for them against sides that are actually playing well themselves. But um, they're playing well enough to beat Penrith, that's for sure. I mean, if they were playing Penrith this week, you'd say the same thing. Uh, they they could rack up a big scoreline against Penrith. Yeah, it's... Uh... Yeah, it's one of those one of those years and one of those days that we or rounds I should say that we've both had that um, makes me very very grateful about the fact that I'm a historian because I can just go bury my book, my head in some newspapers and something from seventy years ago and I'd read that instead. Yeah. <laughs> let me tell you, let me tell you, God bless James Harden and the Houston Rockets. That's all I can <laughs> say because if it wasn't for them, I would be very very upset right now. <laughs> <laughs> yes, and I must say. Um, very grateful for having a whole heap of stat stuff to look at from the eighties and a whole heap of book ideas I'm going through from before then as well. So, oh, nice. Pl- plenty of distractions out there. Yeah, yeah. You need them when your team's going terribly. It's uh, it sucks. It, I like to be able to have a. I like to just be able to have my team in the running, but when they're not in the running and you're turning the TV on, and this happened to me through the the Elliot era was a complete write-off, and I knew that before he even got to the club. But then um, before we got John Lang, and we just had a really, really poor team, and um, I started calling myself a Panther survivor rather than a supporter. <laughs> and there were some really bad teams that we had, but then every so often they'd be bringing a young player here and there, and you'd be like, oh, this young dude can play all right. Oh, this sort of guy's all right. And then all of a sudden it's just... You know, it started clicking. Um, but, yeah, it's, oh, man, we could both be in for absolutely horrible seasons. It'll be good because we'll be able to focus on everyone else when we do our podcast. We won't have to talk about our own teams because they'll be completely irrelevant in a month's time. That's that's very true, yes. <laughs> <laughs> All righty, well, that's been a, uh, a stellar chat about the misery that we've had to go through this week. Yeah, I'm <laughs> depressed. That sucked. Likewise. <laughs> I'm going to go need to take some Valium. <laughs> I'm going to become an alcoholic. <laughs> I might start taking up, taking up alcoholism. Yeah. Well, you know, if we do that, we'll uh, have to repent, according to Israel Falau, so why not? <laughs> it's a good thing that you don't have to repent for swearing. Or do you? 
Uh, I don't think swearing was on his list, was it? Swear- oh. No, swearing wasn't on his list. That's fucking fantastic, because I'll tell you mm-hmm. what, I was given an absolute hiding today. Yeah, well, you know, I, I only swear occasionally, so it's not too bad, I guess. You ever have those moments when you're watching your team getting absolutely smanked, and you're, um, you've got to that point where you still think your team's a, a relative chance of winning the game, and you're sitting there swearing about every stuff up they make. And then they get to that point where they're behind by so far, you know there's no chance of winning. And you stop being swearing and angry, and you start being sweary and laughing. Yeah, yeah. I, you but, know what I do? I, I will be, like, when a player misses a tackle or something, I will be sitting there and I'll be like, fuck you. Just fuck you. <laughs> like, just getting off, right on the individual, you know. i tell you one one thing about swearing. I, uh, I put... I don't normally bet on sports, but I put some money on um, the basketball the other day, and I put money. I, I put a couple of bets on James Harden to score like I put a, a crazy bet on him for it to score forty five points, and he's the sort of player that could have done it. And there was another bet I put on him, oh, to score five three pointers in the game, which is very doable for him. He started the game zero for fourteen. And he's like one of the few, I think he was like one of two players in NBA history to start a playoff game, 0-14. and 14. And he didn't start, like, I think he scored his first field goal in the third quarter. And this is a guy that has been scoring points crazy this year. And I was like, I cannot put any points on him because apparently I'm the best guard in NBA's history because I'm the only person that stopped James Harden all season. So uh, I was swearing a lot during that game. Um, but thankfully, I'd put a lot of points, uh, a lot of money on them to just win head to head. They were really good odds, so I won a, a good amount of money on the game. But even then, I was swearing at every single thing. It was very stru- frustrating. So I learned that I can't put any money on my Houston Rockets. I just got to enjoy their wins and allow James Harden to not be cursed with my money ever again. <laughs> so, yeah. Yeah. I, I don't bet on sport because um, I'm generally I'm just shit at it. Yeah, <laughs> I made I made one one stunning tip one day and it was all fluke. Yeah. Um, <laughs> bit of a story here when I was when I was in year ten at school, for mm-hmm. some reason we were allowed to go to Melbourne for our school excursion, which right. is massive for us because you know we're in the country. You know, seeing seeing a place that's got more than thirty people and it's pretty exciting. <laughs> um, and Part of the Melbourne journey we had was to go to the Melbourne Cup. So a bunch of 16-year-olds were taken to the place where there's betting and drinking and half-naked females everywhere and, and men for that case. And um, I went in there and I sent, sent my mum a text message and I said, I reckon, I can't remember which horse it was. I told her, I reckon you should put some money on this horse, so I think it'll win. Yeah. And she said, oh, I know what you're like with tipping, you crap out of it, so I'm not going to bother. And the friggin' yeah. thing got up. Ugh. Sorry, that's it. I've blown my one good chance. I'm not bothering anymore. <laughs> that's the weirdest, like, excursion I've ever heard of. They let you go to the Melbourne Cup. Mate, that was that was such a bad decision on their behalf because there was only it's probably about four, 30 or 40 of us all up in that class. Yeah. But once the gates opened, we were allowed in. There was only two or three teachers. Yeah. And they were, they were pretty much saying, right, we've got to make sure we all stick to... Oh, they're gone. I mean, just sort of <laughs> folded everywhere. So, I was with, I uh, I was with I four or five of my mates, and we went down to the track side, and we yeah. followed these track officials to the yeah. inside of the um, track. 
my and God. It, was, it was for track officials only. And we yeah. walked through behind them and the security guy says, what are you doing? We said, oh, they're our parents. And they went, oh, okay. <laughs> so you could probably, if you go back to that year, I can't remember which one it is now, yeah. 90, might be 96 Melbourne Cup. Yeah. You might be able to get a glimpse of us on the inside rail just after the finishing post because that's where we were standing. <laughs> that's absolutely insane. <laughs> wow. So we had a very long walk to get out of there. It took about an hour to get out of there from down there. Oh, yeah, I can imagine. It was That was insane. That's nuts. I remember <laughs> in uh, in my high school for, and I, can't, I think it was year 10, um, and in our science class, and we had one of those science teachers that you know, like weren't sure that they were a teacher at all, like or that they got their certificate from some weird country. We'd convinced our science teacher who we were studying something like kinetic energy or something, I think it was, we convinced them to take us on an excursion to Eastern Creek Raceway to watch the drag racing, right? And I don't know how, because it's, like, insane to think about. And so, like, the people that were interested in drag racing, and me and my friends used to go see the drag races a lot, we were keyed up for it, and everyone else was just sort of, excited to be doing this thing that was insane and we we'd all gotten permission off of our parents to stay there after the school hours so it was like by by three o'clock we could just go wherever we wanted and yeah we spent a day at the drag races as a school excursion and (laughs) it was crazy like i can't even like like how they let that happen there was nothing to be learned that day um, but it was great, and yeah, that was uh, before they had the uh, Western Sydney Dragway. That was back when they used to do the drag racing at the the uh, the track, the Eastern Creek track. But yeah, it was, uh, it was insane. But no, nah, that, that wasn't Melbourne Cup. I mean, how how did they justify allowing us to go where it's just all betting? Like that'd be in the newspapers these days. Yeah, I I don't know how they managed to pull that off. They probably lied. Yeah, oh, that was. I always remember that. The only other memory I had of that was um, we were allowed to go to the cinema one night, and we went to we went and watched I think the Phantom with Billy Zane. All right, yeah, yeah. And uh, yeah, I fell asleep. Ah, oh. yeah. I tell you what, that that reminds me of something. When I was in primary school, and I think I was in, in about year, I think it was year three, and we went on an excursion to see Who Framed Roger Rabbit. Now, that's a pretty full-on movie for a bunch of, like, nine-year-olds to go and see. Like, what the hell? It's like, they must have just thought it was a cartoon, like a normal cartoon. It's full-on. Uh, that's pretty... I'll tell you what, what <laughs> this is a good little run down memory lane, this one. When I was in Year yeah. 7, we, we went to a prison farm. Oh my god! What the hell? <laughs> you had to stay there, stay there for two nights. It's just this little community with just little units and stuff. You had to cook your own food and stuff. You never didn't leave the facilities. Oh my goodness! Oh. <laughs> wow, we had some. We had a weird education, both of yeah. us. <laughs> yeah, you don't get many options out in the country, so you have got to make do wherever you can. So we had yeah. a prison farm. <laughs> prison farm. That's great. <laughs> Oh boy! Oh, maybe that's where we could send the uh, the Tigers and the Panthers players to have a bit of a long hard look at themselves. Yeah, just you know, send them to a prison farm, do whatever they do there. Like, not uh, much. Really do. <laughs> yeah, just hang around. You, and... Introduce yourself to one another again, because it looks like we've all forgotten who they play with these days. It, yeah, it really does with the way they're playing. Jeez. Yeah. 
<laughs> and on that rather magnificent segue, <laughs> I mean, come on. It doesn't get better than that. That's gold. <laughs> well, That's absolutely gold. We'll, we'll wrap this one up here, and uh, thanks, everyone, for listening. And if you need to get in touch with us or want to get in touch even better, um, you can send us an email to podcast at legfreak.com. Uh, you can get in touch with us on Twitter at legfreak or at AndrewRP. We're on iTunes, Spotify, Google Play, you know, any other goddamn thing you can think of. We're, we're on it. So, um, yeah, tune in, share us around. If you're uh, on iTunes, give us a subscription and a, a five-star review. Don't give us crappy ones because, you know, we don't want them. No. And let's be honest, we don't deserve them. No. So, um, yeah, till next episode, we'll catch us all later.